third, third book in the New Testament. We're going to be in, in chapter number 8, chapter number 8 this morning. Uh, we are going to be kicking off a little bit of a mini-series here uh, to be getting us from now through Mother's Day. And uh, we're going to be looking at some women in the Bible, uh, some different women that are talked about and things that we can learn from their life. And so uh, first, uh, before we get there, over the last several weeks uh, of studying Scripture together, um, I have come to the conclusion that the followers of Christ in the Bible have always been a fickle bunch. Would you guys agree with me? The followers in the Bible, they were fickle. They were very, during the course of Jesus' earthly ministry, he was followed by what John called vast crowds or multiples of people. Hundreds and thousands of people followed according to John chapter 6. But also John told us that at different parts of Jesus' ministry, he was only followed by a few faithful individuals. A few faithful individuals. Now, as we looked at the course of Christ's ministry, it became clear that even his own disciples were guilty of running away from Jesus when the pressure became too great. We looked at that through the course of Passion Week. And, and we're told that on the night that Jesus was arrested, John records that the disciples forsook Jesus and left him. We also know from the book of John that it was Peter who followed Jesus to the high priest's house, but it said that he followed from afar off so that nobody would see him following Jesus. We're also told in scripture that, that Peter was the one who would deny Christ three times, saying, I, will, I don't know this man. I've never followed him. You know, by the time that Jesus arrived at Calvary to be crucified, there was only one disciple that was near him, and it was John himself. But when Jesus died on the cross, and his body was removed and taken to the tomb of a man named Joseph, and darkness fell on that night, all of the disciples, including John, were hidden. By the time that Jesus was buried in that tomb, not a single one of the men that Christ had called to follow was there. Not a single one. And even though the number of Christ's followers fluctuated from thousands to a handful, there was one group of people in Scripture that seemed to constantly be with Christ. Just one. The passage today is, is dedicated to a group of women that followed the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now these women, it says, offered him financial support but absolute devotion to his mission. Now in fact, one of these women we will see today is Mary Magdalene. And it seemed that she followed him everywhere he was. She was with him during his ministry. She wept at his feet as he died at Calvary. She followed his body to the tomb. She sat outside the tomb after he was buried. She was amongst one of the first people to return to the tomb to see if he was still there. 
She was actually going to prepare his body. She was the first one to whom Christ appeared after the resurrection from the dead. While others forsook the Lord, Mary remained faithful. Mary remained faithful. When others ran away, she stayed. But what was it? As I was reading this short portion of Scripture, what was it that produced that kind of devotion in her life? What was it? I believe the Bible has an answer in just three verses. Just three verses in the book of Luke. And today I want to look at this woman's life and I want to find out what happened to her to make her love Jesus. And I I prayed and have been praying all week leading up to this that we would see and receive a little bit of what she had for our own personal lives. Why? Because I believe that God has a word for every single person in this room. Doesn't matter where you find yourself and your devotion to Christ. There is something here in scripture for you. So let's look now to the word of God as we think about this woman called Mary. Because I think her life uh, has something to say to us about a consecrated and humble devotion to God. So let's look now in verse number 1. Luke chapter 8 verse 1. And it says, Soon afterwards he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Now I want us to just hold tight right there at the end of verse 1. This is often thought as the second tour of Jesus here. uh, Through the the region of Galilee. Though the first tour that we would see is is recorded in the book of Luke chapter 4. Now Jesus went to the same cities and villages more than one time to continue to preach the gospel to them. Yet we see again here in scripture a broad description Uh, of the theme of Jesus' teaching. It says that he was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So he was sharing the gospel. He was telling people, I am the Messiah and I am with you, is the message that he was bringing. He brought that good news. Now look with me to verse number two and see what Luke records. He says, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Her- or she was Herod's household manager, and Susan, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, we're going to stop right there. Luke specifically mentioned certain women in Scripture. He mentioned those women who followed Jesus. And the reason why I looked at this is because this is unusual. It was unusual in that day for women to have a place of prominence. But Jesus had a different attitude towards women than any religious leader and teacher of that day. The rabbis of that day, they would refuse to teach women. They gave them a place of inferiority. Why? Because they thought less of them. And it's interesting, uh, just a little side note for, um, for you gold star students to write down. It's interesting that as you study the synoptic gospels, all of the enemies of Jesus are men. All of the enemies of Jesus in the Bible were men. They were men. You know, one of these women here 
in Scripture, Mary had been possessed by demons until she was set free by Christ. And then Joanna is mentioned. It says she was Herod's household manager. That, that term, household manager, was the one who looked after the finances of Herod. She, she handled Herod's money. You know, it's amazing to me to find Mary with the dark past and Joanna, a lady of the court, in the same company. It's amazing to me. Mary and Joanna, if you, if you remember from Luke chapter 24, were two of the women that were the first witnesses of Jesus post-resurrection. The two women, Mary and Joanna. Now look, look back with me at the end of verse number three, and it says, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now I want to chase a little bit of a rabbit trail for just a moment. That last portion of verse number three shows us the true, humble nature of Christ. What do you mean, Pastor? That, that just told us that people gave out of their means. Well, it shows us that Jesus was humble enough and godly enough to receive from other people. We overlook, we overlook the fact that Christ in his deity, even though in the form of man, he still received from other people in order to do his mission. You know, many of us, many of us are too proud to receive help from somebody else. Many of us are too proud to receive help. I could share circumstance after circumstance after story after story in my wife and I's life where we needed help from somebody and I didn't want to say something. I didn't want to go to somebody. Maybe it was a financial need and I didn't want people to know. Why? Because of the pridefulness. within. Most of us are too proud to receive help from somebody else. But sometimes... The ability to humbly receive is a way better measure of Jesus in our life than the ability to give. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm going to say it one more time. Sometimes the ability to humbly receive is a better measure of Jesus in our life than the ability to give. Than the ability to give. Giving sometimes puts us in a higher place. But receiving oftentimes puts us in a lot lower place. A lot lower. I think there's something very interesting here in the text. Something that I believe most pastors have kind of twisted and or have skipped over uh, to fit their own agenda. The, the term here that is used when it says that, that the women provided for them out of their own means is the Greek word diakonia. It's the Greek word diakonia. It's the same word that is used to describe the office of a deacon. The same exact word. I was taught as a child growing up that women were not supposed to have any place in any type of leadership whatsoever except for to teach children and to teach other women. That's what I was taught my entire life. And as I've studied out scripture more and more and gone back to the original context of the Greek, I was, I've come to the realization multiple times that I was taught wrong. I was taught wrong on a lot of things. That, that it was twisted. Scriptures were twisted to fit the agenda of men. This right here shows us in scripture that women can can have a place in leadership roles in the church. That a woman is not just to, be sit, to sit there and, and be seen and not heard like I was taught as a child. 
We're told that these women gave. And the same word gave is the same role or word that was used when, when Paul talked about the deacon. When, when, when Luke wrote in Acts chapter 6 about the office of deacon being established in the church. It was the same word, diaconia. Deacon or deaconess. Same exact word. These three verses here show us a beautiful picture that we would often overlook in Scripture. One that for some was solely focused on just one aspect, the demon possession. The demon possession. But I want us to see a couple of things this morning and look beyond just the demon possession. I want us to see that Mary was a desperate woman. She was a desperate woman. It says that some women had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities in verse number 2. But Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out. Seven demons. You know what a horrible picture of her life condition. Seven demons possessed her. You know the, the number seven there. Luke wanted us to see a couple of things. One, there were seven actual demons that possessed her life. But there's something else on the flip side of this. Luke also wanted us to, to know and to remember that seven is the number of completion in the Bible. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. So Luke was trying to show us that this woman was totally possessed and under the control of demonic presence that inhabited her. That's what we see here. Her life would have been a living hell. That would have been Mary's life. She would have been drawn into vile sin. She would have been driven insane by the demons that control her. You know, in that lost state, controlled by demons, she had no hope. No hope. Do you know, in, in that day and age, those who were said to be demon-possessed were cut off from the temple. They weren't even allowed to be ministered to. They would have been cut off completely from society. They would have had no help. They, wouldn't allow, they would not be allowed to be with their family, with their friends, literally living a life of sin and insanity that would have been followed by an eternity in hell. She was living a hopeless life. She was powerless to change her own circumstances. Powerless. She was trapped, totally helpless in her enslaved and lost condition. But to me, I believe that Mary was the perfect picture of the sinner unsaved by grace. She was the one that, that shows us every lost person in the world today. They have no hope without Christ. They are helpless without Christ. And while the, the lost people in our world, not all of the lost people in our world are going to be possessed by demons, they are still dead in their sins. They are still dead and powerless to change their circumstances. That's clear teaching, church, from the, the, the book of Ephesians and Colossians and First and Second Corinthians. Let's listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. And he said, and you were dead in the, uh, the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 
Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul painted a very wonderful and vivid picture of what sinfulness does in the life of every single person. And at church, I don't want to speak for you, but I would hope that we could all agree that, that, that nothing could be more horrible than to be trapped in a lifestyle of sinfulness with no hope and no help. Church, do you agree with me? That, that's probably the worst thing. And yet, there are millions and millions of people in our world who don't know Christ living in that same exact situation. No hope. No help. None whatsoever. Living horrible lives with no hope in their future except for the fire of hell. Separation from the grace and the mercy of God. And that is a sad, in my opinion, sad condition to be in. Mary was a desperate woman in a desperate situation. The second thing I want us to see this morning is that she was a delivered woman. She was a delivered woman. Look back at the end of verse number two. It says, the seven demons had gone out. They had gone out. We, we're not told, we're not told of, of the circumstances that surround Mary's conversion. Uh, We don't have any record in Scripture uh, of what it is. But the more that I studied this, and I don't want to linger here too long, and if you have questions about it, I'll talk with you uh, down here afterwards. But many commentators, and because of the way that the Bible was written in the Gospels, uh, I I truly believe, now listen, this this is my belief because I have studied it. This is, not, this is not written solely in the word of God. So I'm, I'm going to share this with you. Many commentators and what I've studied believe that the woman here, Mary Magdalene, was the exact same woman in the last chapter in Luke chapter 7 that anointed the feet of Jesus with her hair. She's the unnamed woman. Many people see her as Mary of Bethany who is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. The same woman. There's only three Marys that are mentioned in Scripture. Mary Magdalene, the other Mary who we know is the mother of the Zebedees, James and John, and then Mary, the mother of Jesus. Those are the only three named Marys in the Bible. And so many believe that this woman here, Mary Magdalene, was the same one who anointed the feet of Jesus in the last chapter. Now, regardless, uh, there is no reason whatsoever for Jesus to reach out to this woman in this way. There were, there were probably reputable and decent women who needed Jesus Christ. But the fact that Jesus reached out to this woman in the midst of her darkness and brought her into marvelous light can be attributed to nothing but his grace. Amen, church? Have you experienced the grace of God in your life? Had it it not been for grace in Mary's situation, she would have died and gone to hell. But Jesus was not content to let that happen, and he extended love, mercy, grace, and he saved her soul. 
Paul goes on to write in Ephesians chapter 2 that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Amen church? By grace you have been saved. When Jesus reached out to Mary and delivered her, she experienced the power of God in her life. She was instantly delivered from that which bound her and she was set free. And that is the power that Jesus possesses. Well, when he comes into your life, he makes an instant and profound change. You know, the, the changes in the life of a sinner is that the, the person becomes a new creation. As Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Or sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the same thing that Peter talked about in 1 Peter chapter 1. The result of of them being set free came from the thing that they were bound with. We we see in in Romans chapter 6, Paul writes extensively uh, about our flesh and what held us captive and how we can be justified through the shed blood of Jesus Christ in order to live peaceably with God. In order to live peaceably with God, we're given absolute liberty. We're given liberty. You know that the word redemption or redeemed in Scripture is a word that was used to talk about slaves in Jesus' day. To, to enter the slave market and, and to redeem someone off of the slave block by a payment of a ransom price and to forever remove them from ever being sold again. That's to be redeemed. That's that word redemption. And church, that's what, that's what Jesus did in Mary's life and that's what he does in ours. He saves us by his grace. I wonder... How much confusion must have filled Mary's heart and mind? Seven demons all talking to her. Seven demons each trying to control her and have her carry out their agenda in her life. And yet when Jesus touched her and saved her, the turmoil in her soul was forever quieted. It was quieted. Why? Because only one voice was speaking within her heart now. Only one voice. Jesus took the pain. He took the turmoil that plagued her. And he quieted the storm. And he's still doing that same thing in the lives of people over and over and over again. I think back quite often about the confusion and the very disquieted nature that was in my own life before I fully submitted and surrendered to Christ. I remember the moment where I finally did submit and to surrender and Christ stepped onto the bow of my life to lead me as my Savior, as my Lord, as my guide, as my protector. And that's what he does for those who submit to him through faith. Jesus said in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. It, it comes from him complete and right and, and well, and it steadies and calms the heart. To put it simply, Christ comes in and changes absolutely everything in our lives. And so church, I have a question for you. Has he done that for you? Has he done, don't, don't incriminate yourself in here this morning. Don't answer out loud. Has he done that for you? Is there still confusion and doubt in your life? Balcony? Online? Is there still confusion and doubt instead of peace and assurance? You know, if you come to him, if you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, he will bring his power and his peace into your life. So Mary was a desperate woman in a desperate situation. She was also a, a delivered woman, and because she was delivered, she was devoted to Christ. And so the last thing I want us to see is her devotion. She was a devoted woman. She was a devoted woman. You know, after Mary met the Christ, she was inseparable from him. Her devotion to the Lord was displayed in multiple ways in the gospel. But the one thing I want us to see this morning is her devotion in her finances. It says that they provided for them out of their means. Out of their means. It would appear that Mary was among the women that helped support the ministry of Jesus financially. Well, when the Lord got her, he also got her pocketbook, so to speak. You know, the, the same is true uh, of modern believers. Believers in our day and age. The same is exactly true. You know, the fact is, and, and the truth is, is um, you can tell a lot about what, they what, what somebody invests in by looking at their checkbook. Now, some of you are like, I don't use a checkbook. Well, then let's look at your bank statement. Okay. Someone once told me several years ago that you can tell the idols in a person's life by looking at their bank statement. What do they spend the most money on? Food? Shopping? What is it? What do you spend your most money on? I'm not, I'm not saying don't pay your bills. That's not what I'm saying. So please don't hear me. That. Don't leave and, and call your, your mortgage lender and be like, my pastor said I didn't have to pay my mortgage, Okay. <laughs> Our checkbook or our bank statement is a clear indication of, of the priorities in our life and whether or not Christ has a hold of your checkbook. Are you giving, church? Are you giving to the Lord what is rightfully His? Are you giving to the Lord what is rightfully His? You see devotion from Mary in the way that she followed Everywhere that Jesus went in the Gospels, Mary was with him. She followed him as he ministered. She followed him to Calvary. She watched him die. She went to the tomb. Everywhere that Mary went, she pushed the limits to how humanly, as far as humanly possible as she could go. Mary was there. She followed him to the very end. And that's God's desire for us. He wants us 
to make him our first priority. You know, when Jesus was talking in, in the Sermon on the Mount, his, his essentially coming to ministry speech, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. The very, very first thing, seek first the kingdom of God. And then most of the time, churches and pastors and Christians stop there. But he didn't stop there. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness before all of the things would be added unto us. We have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then these things are given unto us. Christ wants for us to be devoted to him. He wants for us to have him as our first priority. Church, if there is something in your life that takes up more time than Jesus Christ, then it's an idol in your life. And what happened to those in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament when they had idols in their lives, most of the time they were killed. He allowed for them to be killed in some way. You even see a story in the New Testament, uh, a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. They, they were quote-unquote believers who were, who were told to sell their possessions and give the money to the church, and they both lied. They wanted to hoard that money for themselves. It was an idol in their life. And what happened? They were both killed in the church. He struck them dead in the building, in the temple, because of an idol. And so church, church, Christian, friend, brother, Sister, what are you devoted to in your life? Uh, I don't want to step on this stage and, and attempt to scare you into submission because it wouldn't be true and you'll likely fall away. But I want you to know that devotion, devotion to Christ is the only thing that brings life. It's the only thing that brings peace. The only thing that brings joy, it's the only thing that brings long suffering or patience, gentleness, kindness, self control. Anybody in here suffer from a lack of self control at times? It doesn't matter what. And we're not going to call you up here and say, What do you suffer from self control with? <laughs> One of the fruit of the Spirit is self control. And the, those fruit that are talked about in Galatians chapter 5, they all come out of the Holy Spirit equally and unending. And so if you, if you lack a fruit in your life, it's because you're not submitted to Christ. And if you're not submitted to Christ, then you're not devoted to him. And if you're not devoted, then I, I guess you're probably in a desperate place. Mary's devotion to Christ was amazing to me. She wanted to be with him everywhere he was and it was because of what he had done in her life. Because of what he had done. Does that desire reside in your life? That desire to, to always be in the presence of, of God? If it does, then I would encourage you to feed it. Let it grow and see where it takes you. But if it doesn't, I would encourage you to get alone with God and figure out why. 
it doesn't. He wants faithful followers. I was just meeting with the prayer team before service and and I was just thinking about the different the different situations that we've been praying for and and things that were new that we were discussing and, and families that need prayer and and marriages that are broken and, and people that are straying far away from from the Lord and, and getting into ungodly and, and wicked things. And, and I'm sitting here thinking as, as we were sharing and we were just kind of bouncing back and forth and just talking for a few minutes before we began to pray over the service. And, and I had this thought, like, how often are we unfaithful to God? This just kind of struck me in that moment. How often are we unfaithful to God? And yet in that unfaithfulness, he remains faithful. He remains constant. He remains unchanged. And so church, we see this beautiful picture in scripture of a desperate situation that was hopeless and helpless, that needed Christ. They had to be delivered only through Christ himself. And after that deliverance, we see complete and utter devotion by this woman. And I wonder in our culture why, when we've been delivered, we still are not devoted. I wonder why we struggle cracking open the word of God that brought the deliverance to us, that shared the truth. I wonder why we struggle with devotion. Why? Well, because we live in a culture that is, is a microwave culture. It's instant satisfaction right now because I said it and because I want it. And because change in our life doesn't come because we typed it in on Amazon and said, bring me change, Lord. Send me some peace. And because it didn't come three days later, we close our Bibles and we stop seeking. And then we wonder why we don't have peace. We wonder why we struggle with self-control. We wonder why we're not gentle people. I'm not saying that we won't ever sin again, but our lack of discipline, church, our lack of discipline keeps us from growing. Our lack of changed desire in our life keeps us from growing. Paul was very clear, very, very clear in 1 Thessalonians, that we were to abound more and more into the character of Christ. He talked extensively about sanctification, the setting apart for holy use. Salvation happens in an instant, but it's displayed and lived out for the course of your life. It happens in an instant. But your sanctification never stops. It never stops here. We should always be growing. We should always be changing. We should always be looking more and more and more like Christ. And if we're not, then something's messed up in our lives. And so church, Scripture tells us that Mary stayed behind at the empty tomb. And because she was obedient, because she followed so closely to Christ, 
she was rewarded. She met Jesus first post-resurrection. She was rewarded because of her faithfulness. And so I want to, I want to know, church, where, where does this message find you today? Because I really talked about three groups of people. The first, the, the one in the desperate situation. The one who has no hope. The one who is helpless. The, the one who has not been saved. The one who's living in sin and needs a savior to rescue them. That's the first one. Maybe you're in here and you're, you're like, well, pastor, I, I prayed for salvation. So maybe you're in category two. You're the one who's been saved, but you're not truly dedicated. You haven't been living a devoted life to him. And you're like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, get on your knees and you ask God to forgive you. You ask God to give you the strength to be obedient and then you get up and you, you respond to truth. It's not enough for us to ask God to help us be obedient if, we, if we're not going to respond. James tells us that very thing. To him who knows the truth and does not do it, to him it is sin. If we've heard the truth and we're not responding to the truth, that means we're living a sinful life. And so maybe you're in here and you're like, I haven't truly been devoted to my relationship. Well, that's, that's your step. Or maybe you're in here and you're like, well, well pastor, I, I feel like my relationship with the Lord is, is going pretty well. I, I'm learning, I'm, I'm seeking him, I'm praying. Things are, things are going pretty well in my life. Well, to you, I would say don't give up. I would say keep pressing, keep pressing in. Get on your knees before him and thank him for the things that he's doing in your life, for the things that he's revealing to you, the things that he's showing you. And when you're done, find somebody else that you can help bring them along with you. Stand next to them. Bear their burdens with them. That's, that's what this life is about. Christ, the Christian life was never meant to be done as a hermit, alone. We were meant to have community. We were meant to have fellowship. You guys probably get annoyed with me saying this, but the book of Hebrews tells us to encourage one another as long as it's called today. Well, church, it's still today. We're not dead. Christ has not come back yet. So we're to encourage one another. We're to speak truth. We're to spur each other on to growth and change. If we're not doing that, then we're not even following a basic command. You can't do life alone. Doing life alone leads you to a very, very dark dark and dangerous place. Church, I've been there. I've been there. Many of you who were still here a year ago, uh, better than a year ago, I shared my testimony with you and a piece of my testimony that I don't like people to know about me was my struggle with anxiety and how I, my anxiety would take me to a very deep, and dark and dangerous place. One that led me at multiple times to contemplate whether or not I should even keep my life. 
And I'm telling you that when, you, when you're in that place and you don't have anywhere to go, it's scary. It's dangerous. You need, you need believers. You need a community of, of people who are heading in the same direction and that's closer to Christ. We don't all have to be at the same place. We're not all going to be at the same place spiritually ever. We may be close, but we're not all going to be there together. But if we're headed in the same direction and that's closer to Christ, then that's the best place for us to be. So don't, don't do this life alone. Listen, you're not a superhero because you got things going really well in your relationship with God. Someone once told me, you're either preparing to head into a storm, you're in the midst of a storm, or you're on your way out of one. So just because things look good right now doesn't mean they will be in seven days from now. The Bible tells us that pride comes before destruction, but a haughty spirit before a fall. The haughty spirit is the one who says, I, I, don't, I don't need another person. I don't need the truth. I don't, I don't need correction. I don't need love. Church, which category do you find yourself in? Which category? Between you and the Lord, which category do you find yourself in? If, you, if you're the one who doesn't know Christ, cry out to him. Cry out to him to save you. The Bible tells us to, to believe in our heart and to confess with our mouth that he not only lived a sinless life, but he died for our sins and that he was resurrected three days later and ascended into heaven. And it says if we believe those things and we confess them, we shall be saved. So maybe that's you. Maybe that's you in this place. And for the rest of you, I would be on, on your knees asking God, where's my devotion to you? What needs to change in my relationship with you? How can I be different so that nothing looks like me, but everything looks like you? I don't want to see through my fleshly eyes. I don't want to hear through, through my fleshly ears. I want to see the way you see. I want to hear the way you hear. I want to be different. I so, said to you a few weeks back that one of my favorite songs is that song Different by Micah Tyler. I want to be different. I want to be changed so that all of me is gone and all that remains is a fire so bright that the whole world can see that there's something different because you've come and been different in me. Where are you at, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this place and we, we thank you for just these few verses. We thank you for the truth that you've shown us in them. And God, if we're in here and we, we don't have a relationship with you, God, that we, we would um, not be ashamed of admitting uh, a need for a Savior. And if we're in here, Lord, and we are one of your children, but we have not been devoted to you, 
I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to to press and, and convict us. That we would we would realize and, and recognize that something needs to change in our lives. God, your word tells us that you are rich in mercy. And I, I can't help but think Romans 2, 4, the, the goodness of God leads one to repentance. So God, your goodness... Your, your kindness is what leads us to a place of repentance. And we know, Lord, that this life is about living a repentant life. That we're constantly turning away from sin and self and we're turning towards you. And so, Lord, no matter where we are as believers in this room, that we would all be in a place uh, of turning away from our sin and self and turning, turning towards the perfect peace, the perfect love, the perfect mercy, the perfect patience that's found only in you. God, we, we bless you today and we, we magnify and glorify your name through our lives. Give us strength, Lord. Give us opportunity to, to share the gospel within our circles of influence and help us to unashamedly walk in truth. Lord, if we have decided to follow you, then the cross should be constantly before us. The world should be constantly behind us. And even if no one follows, we should still follow. So Lord, give us, give us the strength and show us, show us the way through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen and amen.